Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. You're listening to a teaching message by Vintage Church in Harker Heights, Texas. Whenever and wherever you are listening to this, our hope is that you are encouraged and challenged by this message and that you are inspired to take your next step with Jesus. For more information, please visit us at vintage.church or follow us on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to church this week. I want to say thank you so much for joining us, whether you're joining us here in the room live or whether you're participating or streaming this service at one of our digital locations. We are super glad that you're here. I want to encourage you. We've been in this series. We've been studying different characters in the Bible, learning uh, about what their life has to say about our life. We've covered a lot of ground. I want to encourage you to continue the conversation in a small group. Small groups are a great place for you to connect in community while also continuing the conversation that we started together here today. We also are in week three, super excited to talk to you today about Joseph, but we've had several other characters leading up to today. You can follow along, you can go back and watch any of those messages by downloading the Vintage Church app that's available on all of your app stores. It's free, download it, you'll literally have all of the messages in the palm of your hand. Like I said, I'm really excited to jump into week three of our series, Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. We're together. We've been taking a look. Can you believe it? We're looking at 16 characters in the Bible. We're taking a look at these lives and how they speak to us today. We're covering eight characters during our services over eight weeks. That same eight weeks, we're covering different, a different eight characters in our small group study. I cannot emphasize enough that you get connected into a small, a small group. My wife loves buy one, get one. How many of y'all like a BOGO? Y'all like BOGOs? Okay, this is like a buy one, get one. You get a character on the weekend and you also get a different character in your small group. Be sure to plug in this week. I'm going to give just a little bit of context. We're going to be learning today our third character here in our services, the life and the story of a man named Joseph. Joseph is perhaps one of the most well-known Bible characters in all of Scripture. His story is recorded in the book of Genesis in chapters 37 through chapters 50. You know, one of the things I love about the story of Joseph, in this series we're looking at different stories, but the great thing about Joseph is we get to see his entire life. We get to see all the ups and all the downs, and I believe God wants to speak to you through his story today. To give you just a little bit of background, I know you'll probably open up your Bible this week, Genesis 37 through chapter 50, and you can read all the details, but I want to give you just kind of a big picture of the biblical character Joseph. Joseph's father was a man named Jacob. You might remember when you read the Old Testament, one of God's favorite names is he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons 
total, Joseph is Jacob's 11th son. It's the youngest, it's his youngest son at the time we pick up his story. Jacob would later have his name changed to Israel. Maybe you've heard of the nation of Israel. It's from Jacob's family, these 12 sons. These 12 sons would grow and multiply to become the nation of Israel. Maybe you've read the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, these come from these 12 sons. Joseph was the 11th of these 12 sons. He lived between 1600 and 1700 BC and he would go on from the beginning to the end of his life. He would rescue his family from a famine by moving them to Egypt. They would survive the famine. It's in Egypt over 400 years after Joseph. They would become a great nation that we read about in the book of Exodus. Maybe you remember Moses delivers that nation from Egypt back to their homeland. Remember Moses, Charlton Heston, let my people go. You remember him. Okay, this is before all of that. They're a small family, all right? There's 12 sons, right? And they're in the land of Canaan. We learn so much about Joseph. You know, somebody told me years ago, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was, listen, experience can teach you a lot in life. And a pastor friend told me, you know what the best kind of experience is? He said, somebody else's. There's something about reading the Bible, engaging with Scripture, learning from somebody else's uh, experience. Their, their highs, their lows that help us walk a different life now. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to learn from the experience of Joseph. So what do we learn about Joseph's life? The first thing you see, the very first thing when you start reading about Joseph is we see Joseph was loved by his father. Genesis chapter 37, verse 3, it says that Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Why? Because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Now, I don't know about you. I got to be honest with you. As a dad, I, I love the latest kid. I don't know about you, but there's something about that youngster in the house. You know, the older ones, they get a little older and they start getting kind of mouthy. But that youngster is kind of close to you and they want to be with you. And it says here that Joseph, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other kids. Now, one of the things I love about the Bible is it always tells you the good and the bad and the ugly. I'm just going to tell you that is a major parent faux pas, right? To love one of your kids more than all the others, okay? You, I mean, you might believe that in your heart, but you should never say that. However, it's recorded in this story because it's significant. Why? Because Joseph was loved by his father. Even though he was the youngest son at the time, he was the most loved by his dad. We know this because if you read the story, his dad would present to him a robe that would symbolize authority and, and power and prestige. And he would, he would present this robe, this coat of many colors, right? And, and, it's, and all of his brothers would see the favor and the love of his dad. And I'll be honest, it, it seeded some things in the other 10 boys' heart that would come back to hurt Joseph later. This privilege and this special treatment caused major issues in Joseph's family. Genesis chapter 37 verse 4 says this, But his brothers hated, they didn't just dislike him. These ten brothers, okay, they hated Joseph. Why? Because their father loved him more than the rest of them. And because of this hate, they couldn't say a nice thing about him. 
The love of his father, however, and the character that he had stood out from his brothers. The story shows us, as you study this later this week, that his brothers, uh, those ten brothers, man, they were notorious troublemakers. They had all kinds of issues going on, but Joseph stayed close to his dad from that love. Next we see that Joseph was favored by God. Not only was Joseph loved by his father, but he's also favored by God. How do we know that? God gives Joseph two dreams about the future. Now, I don't know about you, but man, I'm just like, sometimes I've had some dreams, and, but I'm just going to tell you, they're not from God, okay? It's like I had pizza too, too late, you know? How many of y'all have pizza dreams, right? You, 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 God gives dreams, and you kind of wonder, you, you know, I don't know if that was God. That was a little weird, but for Joseph, he knew it was from God because he knew God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he was close to his father. He knew Yahweh. He knew the God of the Bible. And so God gives him two dreams, and he gets really, really excited about these two dreams. You know why? Because they show him, the youngest son, being the leader of the family. Come on, somebody. Right? He gets excited, and he does what most young people do. I know I've done it. I still do it. I start going, walking around and bragging about my favor. You know, how many of y'all have ever done that? You know, something good happens to you, and you just, you just kind of, you got to tell somebody. The problem here is his brothers already hated, to, hated him, and it probably wasn't the best people to brag to. And the interesting thing is, is this caused problems for him in the short term, but in the long term, these dreams would be fulfilled in the legacy of his life. He would actually go on to save Israel's family, his entire family. So he was favored by God. The next we see is Joseph was hated by his brothers. Because of this love of his father and this favor from God, his brothers hated him. So much so that they plot to kill him. His dad sends Joseph into the field to check up on his troublemaking brothers. And when they see Joseph long off in the distance, Genesis 37, 18 says that when they saw him coming, they recognized him. And as he approached, look at this, the hatred in their heart had turned to murderous plotting. It's in the distance they made plans before he got there. They said, they mocked him, here comes the dreamer, they said. And they had plans to kill him. His brother Reuben reasons with them, however, Reuben, wa Reuben wanted to make a little money instead of just murder. And he, he convinces his brothers to, to sell him instead, and they do, to some Midianite traders that come by. So they sell the, Joseph to these these traitors and Joseph's once a, a, a loved and favored son. Now he becomes a slave. He's sold to a man named Potiphar, the captain of the Egyptian pharaoh's palace guard. And in the meantime, as he's being sold, he's sold. These Midianite traders take him into Potiphar's house. His brothers have to come up with a great story about what happened to him. And so they take that robe that represented the love of the father, the favor of God. And they dip it in an animal's blood. And they take it back to Jacob. And they tell Jacob, your favored son, right? The son of your youth has been murdered by animals. How callous this must have been. Jacob was absolutely beside himself. He loved Joseph greatly. And, and his brothers, I think, maybe in their mind, thought to themselves, and this is an important part of the story when you read it. They thought, you know, Jacob would easily move on from killing Joseph and maybe they would get a little bit of the favor that they felt like they had been uh, they had been robbed of in fact though we learn later that the Jacob's 
Jacob's uh, mourning, what happens, how he mourns his son, it doesn't just last a few months as was tradition, it lasts years. It marks Jacob forever. His brothers actually you know, thought they were going to get ahead, but what ends up happening is he saw that it breaks their father's heart. All this is happening in the meantime. J- Joseph arrives in Egypt, not a son, but a slave. Talk about a low point in his life. I don't know about you, but I've never experienced anything even close. I, I can't even relate to this kind of pain. Once I'm like, you know, I'm favored, I'm loved, and my brothers hate me, my family, my flesh and blood, and they throw me into a pit, and then they sell me to traders, and I show up to a place where I don't even speak the language. I don't know about you, but I think there's a lot lesser things to become bitter about. And yet we see that Joseph didn't do that. It's just the weirdest thing when you see, you start to see the depth of relationship he had with God. How he understood the character of God. It changed everything in his life. Genesis chapter 39 verse 2 through 4 says, The Lord was with Joseph. And because the Lord was with him, he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this. By the way, Potiphar worshipped idols, false gods. He was not a good guy. But even the bad guy Potiphar who bought another human being who was unjustly put into slavery, even Potiphar could not deny that God was with Joseph. He wasn't sure what God, but he knew whatever God it was, it was a powerful God. He saw that it gave him success in everything he did. And as a result of this success in Potiphar's household, this pleased Potiphar. So soon Potiphar made Joseph his personal attendant, put him in charge of everything. Why? Because everything he touched succeeded. God's finally turned it around. God's favor is finally built up and you're thinking, man, it's about time. Joseph gets some justice, right? You would think, man, God's with Joseph. Things are going good in Potiphar's house. But then, and this is very important, It's important for every believer in here to lean in just right now. Just lean in just a little bit. Every time God blesses you, make no mistake, you will be tested. You will be tested. The blessing of God always brings about a test. And it's a test that says, do you love God more than his blessing? Do you love God more than the things he gives you? And like Joseph, like us, he's tested in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife, who is a beautiful woman, he starts to make, she starts to make sexual advances to Joseph. She starts to hit on Joseph. Joseph walks into the room and she notices he's young and handsome. Right? He starts, she starts to kind of advance and to, to pursue him. One day, he, she's got Joseph alone. By the way, you should never put yourself in a situation where you're alone. Okay? With, with somebody that's not your wife if you're married, or somebody that's going to cause you to compromise, right, when no one's looking. But there's a moment where Joseph's, you know, working as a slave in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife advances to him so strongly, like just says, come be with me. And look at what Joseph says in Genesis 39, verses 8 through 9. But Joseph refused. Then he tries to reason with this woman, And he says, look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. 
No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me but the one thing that does not belong to me. The one thing I accept you because you are his wife. How do I do such a wicked thing? I love this. It would be a great sin against God. This passage here in Genesis 39 blows me away. Joseph is a slave, wrongly accused. There is no one who could read his story and not think that he's the victim here. And not think that he's the one that's got the short end of the stick. And yet in a moment where he's tested, in a moment where he could have taken the last thing that Potiphar withheld from him, right? In that moment, he didn't justify himself. By the way, he could have. He could have justified. He could have looked at the household and how he was treated and how he was put into slavery and how unfair it was. And he could have justified. I, I am justified in taking this from Potiphar. However, Joseph knew that regardless of his circumstances, don't miss this, regardless of his circumstances, he was accountable to God. Did you know that even when others don't see, God sees? Even when others don't see, let me say it again, God sees you. That's what the test brings out in you. You would think that he would be rewarded for his integrity. He resists her advances. You would think, okay, he did the right thing, right? Pass the test. Continue to be blessed. That rhymed and I didn't even mean to. Right? But that's not what happens. This woman is offended, frustrated. She didn't get what she wanted. Joseph's a slave. And she grabs a hold of his robe as he starts to run away from her advances and holds his robe in her hand as he runs out of the bedroom and she cries rape. Joseph didn't rape her. Joseph did the right thing. You would think that maybe Potiphar would be rational, but he comes in and he hears the story. He's confronted with it. He sees he can't, he can't imagine that the slave would do that to him. And Potiphar gets angry and isn't angry. Look what it says in Genesis 39, 19. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So furious that he took Joseph and threw him into the prison, not just any prison, but where the king's prisoners were held. And look at that. And there he rotted. There he remained. Potiphar got mad, got embarrassed probably a little bit himself throws Joseph into not just any dungeon, but the worst possible dungeon in the known world at the time. The king's dungeon. Here's what we see next. Joseph is unjustly accused and imprisoned. So let's just keep going here. Joseph was loved by his father. He did the right thing. His character stood out. He was favored by God. God gave him dreams about the future, about his future. God had a big plan and purpose for him. As a result, Joseph's hated by his brothers. And you think, just when things couldn't get any worse, there's a little bit of favor, a high mountaintop, and now he's unjustly accused and in prison. He's put in to the worst prison imaginable. You would think, again, here's, a, here's another moment. Another moment for Joseph to blame everyone else for his problems. Which, by the way, there's a lot of blame in this story. The story actually says that Potiphar throws him into the prison. Potiphar remained close to Pharaoh. As time goes on, I don't know if you've ever done anything when you were angry. Have you ever done anything you regretted when you were angry? But maybe you didn't really make it right right away because you were a little embarrassed and you wanted to save face. Well, Joseph was a slave. Potiphar 
initially thinks that he raped his wife, but I'm sure he starts thinking about it. And he starts thinking, well, that's not really Joseph's character. And maybe he starts to remember other times and other situations, but he's embarrassed. And so Joseph remains in prison. We know this is true because later Joseph is brought before Pharaoh. And I'm just going to tell you, a slave in Egypt that would have slept with his master's wife or stolen or anything else would never have been brought before Pharaoh. But he's brought before Pharaoh and Potiphar doesn't say anything, although Potiphar's still there. So imagine the injustice here. I believe deep down, the story doesn't necessarily say it, but I think you can read between the lines here, that Potiphar probably, probably didn't believe that he had actually done it. In his fury, he throws him into prison. And you would think, okay, this is where it all ends for Joseph. It says he remains there. And look what happens in Genesis 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison. Wait a minute, pastor. God ain't in prison. God ain't in prison. You know... <laughs> How in the world is God with Joseph in prison? That's what the story says. But the Lord was with Joseph even in prison. Look what he said. He showed him his faithful love. That's crazy. Even when people are unfaithful to you, even when they don't do what's right, look at this. God always does what's right. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite. This is a theme, isn't it? A favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph, just like Potiphar did, in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. This is crazy. It goes on to say the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. Look what it says. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Did you know that even when others are evil, even we don't get treated the way we should, God sees us, and like Joseph, he shows us his faithful love. Even in prison, God continues to be with Joseph. He uses Joseph to interpret dreams again. He hasn't done that since he was younger. Nearly 13 years later, he's in prison. He's a slave in a foreign country, but God gives him favor with the prison warden. And something happens in Pharaoh's uh, entourage. There's a debt, there's an assassination attempt of Pharaoh while Joseph's in prison. And Pharaoh doesn't know where it came from, but he narrows it down to his baker and his cupbearer. He knew one of them had to be guilty. So he throws them both in the same prison that Joseph's in. And it's in that moment they both have a dream, the cupbearer and the baker. And guess what? Joseph is in that prison, and we all know he can do what? Interpret dreams. He's a dreamer. Remember when his brothers, here comes the dreamer. Guess what was needed in that prison right then? They have a dream. Joseph interprets the dream. He tells the baker, hey, you know what? They might not know yet, but they're going to find out you're the one that tried to cure Pharaoh and you're going to die. Then he looks to the cupbearer and he says, don't worry. You're going to be completely vindicated. And you're going to go right back next to the king. Don't worry. Okay, this is just going to be a minor setback. It's nothing like the 13 years I've been through. <laughs> and I love this. He interprets the dream and, and Joseph looks at the cupbearer and he goes, hey, hey, you know, I just, could you do me a favor? Like this is all going to happen because that's how God works. When God gives you a dream, he, he accomplishes the dream. Okay, but, but can you kind of help me out a little bit? Like I'm unjustly accused, like some stuff happened with Potiphar and, you know, she was the, you know, it's messy, but I didn't do it. 
And, and, you know, I'm running things and God's going good. Can you just, when you get to Pharaoh, by the way, the cupbearer would have poured the drink into Pharaoh's cup every single day right next to the king of Egypt, the most powerful man in the ancient world. Hey, when you get to Pharaoh, can you remember me? And you know what the cupbearer says? The cupbearer says, oh, thank you so much. Like, I was so anxious. I thought I was going to pay for a crime I didn't commit. You interpreted my dream. I knew it was him. I knew it was the baker. Yes, Joseph, I will remember you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for helping me in this dark place. Joseph's probably thinking, man, it's great. I'm, I'm ready to get out of the... Get out of the prison. Look what Genesis chapter 40, verse 23 says. Pharaoh's cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph. I love that it doesn't even stop there. Never giving him another thought. Wow. Joseph interprets this dream. It comes true. The cupbearer is so excited to get back to work, he completely forgets about his promise to Joseph. Can I ask you a question? Has anybody in your life ever made a promise that they didn't deliver on. Like, I'm not just talking about a mistake, but like maybe there was a promise made by somebody, and it was serious, but they didn't fulfill it. Maybe there was something that happened in your life where you're like, man, somebody, you thought, man, if this... But they let you down. Has anybody in here ever been let down? I know I have. I can't imagine what Joseph must have felt in that moment. The Bible says two years go by. Two years go by. Joseph remains in the prison. Here we see he was forgotten in prison. He was forgotten in the prison. Two years go by while he's rotting in prison. He's forgotten. Joseph's almost 30 years old. He was sold into slavery when he was 17 years old. This would have been 13 years in the story. And I think sometimes when we take a look at stories, when we take a look at people's experiences, I think, I think, I think, we think that our life is going to go like a certain way. When it doesn't, we get really let down and discouraged. I don't know about you, but I get that way. Here we see Joseph was loved by his father. He's favored by God. But then he's hated by his brothers. He's falsely imprisoned. And now he's forgotten in prison. But it's in this point in the story, God starts to position Joseph for what he's actually called him to do. It's all of this is, is leading up to a turning point. Not just for Joseph, but this is also how your life works as well. Here we see that Joseph is put just a few doors down from the king of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world. Two years after his experience with the baker and the cupbearer, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh has a dream. And it's not just any dream, it's a terrifying dream. And Pharaoh gets all the dream interpreters around and nobody can tell him what the dream means. And then in that moment, two years later, the cupbearer goes, you know, I know a guy. I know a guy. I met this guy in prison, and man, everything he said happened. I think you should talk to that guy, king. And it's in this moment, right? It's in this moment where he's taken from the prison. The Bible shows, read this on your own. Genesis 37 to 50, read the story. A coat is put on him. He's cleaned up and shaven. And he's restored not just where he was in his father's house, but where God needed to position him in his heavenly father's house. He's promoted in Egypt. He interprets the dream. He says there's going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. That's what the dream said. The dream didn't say what to do, but Joseph already had some experience in managing the affairs of another. 
He already had some experience in the prison, some experience with Potiphar, some experience keeping his brothers like, you know, on the, on the time card, right? He had some experience, and so he, t- he tells Pharaoh, hey, hey, you know, that's not part of the dream, but here's what you should do. This is what you need to do. And I love Pharaoh's response to Joseph in Genesis 41. Talk about a comeback story. Verse 38 says, so Pharaoh asked his officials, I love this, can we find anyone else like this man? He's a slave from the dungeon. Anyone else? So obviously filled, he noticed what everyone else in Joseph's lives noticed. With the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of these dreams to you. Look at this. I love this. He looks around at all the other people that couldn't answer and he goes, clearly no one else in here is nearly as smart as you are. I mean, clearly And then look what he says. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on the throne will have a rank higher than yours. Look what happens next in Joseph's story. He's promoted to the palace. He's promoted to the palace and do not miss this. From being loved by his father as a 17-year-old kid, learning how to hear God's voice, Learning how to, how to walk with other people. He's hated by his brothers. He's learning lessons the whole way that are preparing him for the moment he gets promoted to the palace. You see, I think sometimes we want the palace without the prison. I think sometimes we want the promotion without the pain. And can I just tell you, the bigger plan God has for you, you're going to have some prison time. It may not look like Joseph. It's going to be unique to you. But it's in those moments of pain that God develops you into the person he can promote in the palace. You would think, man, this is the end of the story. I mean, this is definitely the best part of the story. I mean, it's just like all this has finally happened. Boom, his final destination. The whole purpose was so that God could repay him back and give him some power. But we always learn that when we get promoted in influence, when we get promoted into positions of power, it's always for a purpose. We learn in this story during the seven years of famine, there was also a famine back in his hometown of Canaan. It's a famine that drives the same brothers who sold him into slavery, drives them back in front of their brother, and guess what happens? They come to him and they bow at his feet asking to buy food, asking to buy food in a famine. Joseph is blown away. At this point, there's no evidence that Joseph even thought that he would ever see his family again or his brothers. He likely forgot about that dream back back when he was 17. A lot of time had passed. And it's in this moment, his brothers are here, God begins to show him the purpose of the palace, the purpose of the influence. It's in this moment that he reconciles back to his brother. He tests them too. He tests them. There's some tests, right, before he lets them back into their life. He wants to make sure they're not the same murderous scumbags they were before. And they weren't. They had changed. As a matter of fact, he finds out he has a little brother. His mom had a little, little guy, Benjamin. And it's in this crazy reconciliation. Brothers doesn't, don't even recognize him. 13 years had passed. He's dressed like an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. Come on, somebody. Finally, Joseph can't stand it anymore. He starts to see what God's really doing in his position and his power. 
And he looks at his brothers and he reveals himself to them and they're blown away. I, I got to be honest, if I was their brothers, I'd be a little scared. I don't know about you. I'd be like, uh-oh, we're in big trouble. Okay, it's come home to roost. Come on, somebody. I mean, it's bad. And look what Joseph says in Genesis 45, verses 5, 7, and 8. He looks at his brothers and he says, don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourself for selling me this place. Look what he says. It was God. I wouldn't say God. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. Look what it says. So it was God. I wouldn't say God. It was God who sent me here, not you. This is, this is incredible. Listen, Joseph stopped, and I'm telling you, he probably had some bitterness. We see this whole story with his brothers. All that came flooding back. But you know what he did? He looked at the whole of his life in light of God's ultimate purpose, and he had an epiphany. A light bulb went off. A light bulb went off. Look what the light bulb said. said. It said, it was God who sent me here, not you. Look what he says. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. As we close, here's the real comeback story. Joseph's life was redeemed and his purpose was fulfilled. When you study Joseph and you study the Egyptians going through and Moses in the next book, Exodus, leading them into the promised land, the people of Israel would become a great nation. And it's through those people that Jesus, the Savior of the world, would be born. Here we see God use Joseph for so much more than just himself. You know, the reality as we close is our lives go up and down. Things happen. We don't always know why. Why don't we always know why? Because God's plan is always bigger than us. Joseph was sent ahead by God to preserve a family that would become the nation of Israel, whom Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, would redeem all of us. So think about your life. The hard times, the good times. And then think about Joseph's life. And remember that God's always doing something that you can't always see and you can't always feel. But if you won't quit, you can't lose. I want to close with this passage and then pray. Romans 8, 28, verse 28 and 29. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There's always purpose in our pain if we'll submit it to God and remember that it's all about him. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your word. I thank you, Father, for the life of Joseph recorded in Genesis, how it speaks into our life, the ups and the downs, the mountaintops and the valleys. I pray, God, that you would speak to us today. If there's any bitterness in us, anything we're holding on to, may we be able to release it and give it to God knowing that he will redeem it. In our hands, it's broken. We don't know where to go, but when we place our life in his hands, we see the way forward. I pray, Father, that you're with those who have experienced injustice like Joseph. I pray, Father, you're with those that have experienced pain and suffering. Those that right now, Father, in their current circumstance, maybe their past, maybe their future, Lord, they're not really sure how it all fits. I pray that by the peace of your Holy Spirit, they would gain understanding and knowledge that, Father, as they take one step at a time towards your purpose and your will, that, Father, you would redeem their life just like you redeemed Joseph's. 
We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. You can stay connected with us at vintage.church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. Here at Vintage, we believe that church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Harker Heights, Fort Hood area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service times, and plan your visit by checking out our website at vintage.church. We hope to see you soon.